go. You don't do this often. You've got to get all the details together. My name's Rick Lohorn, and as I said earlier, I'm the missions pastor here at Stephen Street. Our senior pastor, uh, Pastor Scott Parkson, he's on mission in Salt Lake with a team of ours. And uh, I would like to start this morning with us just praying for that team. Right now, uh, they are arriving at the church. It's 8.30 out there. And uh, the team will be setting the church up. That's one of the things they do. They go out. They're meeting in a school. So they actually drive the church up in a trailer. And everything comes out of the trailer. Well, the team will be uh, setting that up in the, in the uh, school. And uh, this afternoon, they'll be having a cookout for the church, and they've gone around and passed out hundreds and hundreds of invitations to people to come to that cookout. So our team will be doing all the cooking, all the setup, and all the feeding. Uh, so you can pray for them in that respect, too. And, uh, and pray that the seeds that they've planted, you know, just being there as Christians, inviting people to this these expressions of grace, which is just the opposite of what people hear in Salt Lake, and uh, that that seed would grow uh, to an understanding of who Jesus Christ really is. So let's pray for them. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, as we just think about all that you have done for us, Lord, and the songs that we've sung, uh, the, the life that we have, the hope that we have, the great victory we have in Jesus. Lord, we pray that as the, as the team is out uh, having church this morning, getting set up and interacting with people today, that people would see Jesus in them and uh, that you would give them strength, give them direction, even give them countenance uh, as people see them, that they see Jesus. And uh, give them a, uh, a great trip the rest of the project as they're working in the community, as they're interacting with people who are trapped in a strange, uh, distant teaching that's not Christian, but says it is. And Lord, we uh, pray for that in the name of Jesus Christ and to his glory. Amen. I got a, I got a stack of books up here for a reason. I, as the missions pastor, and I think you'd probably expect this, and, but it's something that you do as Christians also. You'll come in contact with somebody you don't know. And uh, just about immediately, my mind starts thinking, do they know Jesus? You know, it doesn't matter if I meet them at a, at a gas station or meet them uh, out here in the hallway, never met them. You know, start thinking, what is going to demonstrate to me that they know Jesus, that they've truly been born again and changed? Um, this happened to me, just one example. Uh, a few years back, I had a college student that visited here, and I walked up to him. He was alone, which is odd for college students here, but he was alone. I walked to him, introduced myself, started talking to him, and uh, it was Sunday morning with everything going on. We didn't get into a conversation, but we had an opportunity to meet each other. I asked him, I said, can we meet each other and maybe just have coffee, something, and talk. So uh, as we were talking, the conversation moved to his relationship to Christ. And I asked him, I said, so tell me your story. And I find that this is what I hear a lot nowadays. Uh, it's exactly what I understood before I became a Christian and what I thought about Christianity. 
And it's becoming, I think, more prevalent today because everything is so driven on information today and the availability of it. And, uh, but this guy, college student, I said, so tell me about it. And we were, we were sitting, I can't even remember the circumstance, sitting uh, on a couple of uh, 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 seats and a little coffee table out front. And he reached out and he grabbed uh, a, a, cough, a, a piece of uh, a, a, cough, a mug, place where you set the mug, and uh, he moved it around. Our coffee was sitting there. And he said, he said this, this might represent, you know, the Koran or teaching of some other religion. And he said, this might represent something else. And then he took my Bible and he set it out there with it. And he said, this is the Bible. And he said, I, I came to a point in my life that I really had a need, and I knew that I needed to move forward from what I was raised in, and it needed to become what I believed. Okay, that's, that's good. That's cool. And so I believe he was there at that point, exactly where God wanted him. But then he moved to this. And this is what I would have said earlier when I, before I became a Christian. He said, so I decided I would read these things. I would read all these, and I would compare them all. And I would come up with the one that I believe the most. And that's what would become my faith. That would become, if, if the Bible was what I believed, then I would be a Christian. If I believed, if I took the information and it was close enough to me, then I would become a Christian. You know, we can believe in a lot of information given to us, and those beliefs will impact us and even direct us and make us the way that belief is. Becoming a Christian is so much more than just believing in information. I can remember the night I got saved, and I read the first three chapters of the Bible, and I just absolutely didn't believe it. And I just scoffed at it. And in that moment, by the mercy and grace of God, I fell under such conviction. And for the first time in my life, I knew I was lost. That was not an informational trip. You know, we can read all kinds of things and be impacted by it. But in order for even the very word of God to change my life, it has to be joined with something. It has to be joined with the power of God touching it and the Spirit of God moving through it to change my life. You know, uh, guys, put that next slide up, please. The, word, the Scripture tells us all kinds of things about, this, about itself. And it's the only book, and you'll get scoffed at this uh, if you talk to a professor or somebody that is teaching, uh, uh, you know, things about different teachings and philosophies and things like that. We base what we believe about the Bible, about what it says about itself. That's what they call circular reasoning. You're taking what something uh, says about itself and you're basing the truth of it on what it says about itself. You can do that with the Bible because of what it is. The scripture tells, as, we, as, these, uh, as these verses say, and these are just a few, the, the scripture is so full of these kinds of statements about itself that the scripture is, Jesus said, is literally food to the soul. It feeds us in ways that nothing else can. 
The scripture says about itself that it is in the scripture that we can have forgiveness of sin. Scripture even says this about itself, that Jesus Christ is the literal word of God. And that what he says is something that we should listen to. The scripture says about itself that in this we have everything we need for life. Everything that we need to get us uh, through every circumstance we have in the scripture. But it doesn't say about itself that you get life there. You get life when God empowers the scripture within us to change us. It's not, an, it's not a trip of information. It's literally, and it says this, a transformation that happens. God changes us. Jesus said it like this to Nicodemus, a very religious man, by the way, and who had, could have quoted the first five books of the Bible by memory to you. But he looked at this man and said, you must be born again. You must be born again. Jesus also said this very familiar text. You, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he said this also. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears the word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. It is the truth of the Bible empowered by God's spirit through faith. And what he says and what he did to his son, Jesus Christ, that changes us. Today in our text, we're going to find that the people of Israel had not only gone so far as to reject God, but they had also gone so far as to reject his literal spoken word. And in that place, we find them. And we're going to read uh, today in a text that's it's a familiar text. It's not one you hear priests from very much. It's out of Ezekiel. Uh, it's Ezekiel 37, and I was not going to ask you to stand, but I am going to ask you to stand. This is just an amazing text. So if you'd stand with me as I read uh, chapter 37, uh, and it's a little lengthy, verses 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord was put upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them, and behold... There were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and I will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So, so I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, and behold, a, a, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, there was sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. Then I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came unto them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. 
Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Father, we just pray, Lord, that you would take your word, plant it deep within our heart, and change us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. We're going to look at this text with three simple questions. What are the dry bones? Then we're going to look at what caused them to be dry and how can they have new life? Just three simple things. In order to get the fullness of the situation here and the circumstance, we're going to take a little history trip. The nation of Israel, as a nation, began about 930 B.C., okay? It lasted only about 110 years as a unified nation under the leadership of three kings, Saul, David, and then the son of David, Solomon. All right, after that, about 110 years or so, uh, everything fell apart. And it fell apart because, really, their unwillingness to follow God, but because of bad leadership. And uh, you had two kingdoms created. You had the northern kingdom, which was called Israel, and you had the southern kingdom, which was called Judah. Now, the northern kingdom, it lasted about 210 years after the split. Uh, as record shows us, and the uh, pastor's been teaching this on Wednesday night, there wasn't very much hope in that place because none of the kings uh, gave any, uh, any leadership that would be considered godly. So 210 years, and then they were taken into captivity by the Assyrians, uh, and they are now considered the lost ten tribes of Israel, uh, the ten northern tribes. The two southern tribes were called Judah, and after the northern tribe was taken into captivity, they lasted about 130 more years. And then they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. When we say the exile or the captivity, we're usually talking about the southern tribe because that is where the promise was made, and that was the lineage through you which the promise was going to continue to us this very day. The, North, the southern kingdom did a little bit better, but not much, because both of them going into captivity kind of shouts where they were with God. Neither one of them followed the Lord. And they did so many ungodly things, we'll talk about that here in just a minute, that uh, when they go into captivity, they're going to suffer greatly. In Ezekiel 37, we find that the people, like I said, are in a bad place. They're in Babylon, they're in the captivity. Uh, they had become very cold in their relationship with God. We're looking at hundreds of years of disobedience here. Hundreds of years now. They would have looked the part. I mean, they still had their practices. They still did all of that. It's just, it meant nothing to them. They, uh, 
they would have looked so much like people who go to church and don't love God because they just did it. They had no relationship with him. In Jerusalem, they had worshipped false gods to the point they were making sacrifices of these false gods in the very temple of God, right along with the sacrifices they were making to Jehovah God. They had, uh, they had done terrible things, and uh, from God's perspective, they had shown nothing but unbelief to him. Now, in Babylon, you would think, I would anyway, I know when my father would spank me for something, I didn't like doing it again, right? I mean, I can only remember one time, and which kind of uh, pays homage to my dad, him spanking me, to be honest. I was uh, needing to go to school, first grade, and I wouldn't go. I know some of y'all that maybe have first graders right now or, or even earlier didn't want to go. I got one in my home, and uh, Saxon's a great little kid. My daughter's a little one, and it's just all new. It's difficult. I mean, good night. He's two years old, and he's having to go and be uh, kept. And, uh, but I didn't want to go to school. I wasn't two. Uh, I was supposed to go to first grade, and I just make, I just holler and have trouble. And so one day, and my, uh, my older sister, Dana, she used to have to take care of me. Well, one day it was so bad, she couldn't take care of me, they called my dad. My dad came, picked me up, took me home in his truck. I fell asleep in his truck, woke up in a few minutes thinking everything's cool, I'm going to play the rest of the day. This is how distinctly I remember this. I walked in the door and he grabbed me. Wore me out. Guess what? Did I go to school? Absolutely. Well, you would think that these people suffering the consequences of their ungodliness, the things that had been prophesied to them for hundreds of years by the prophets, that this is going to happen, and it happens, you would think they'd give some kind of even lean or something toward God. Not true. They were doing the very thing and worse things in captivity than what they were do had done in Jerusalem. And Ezekiel is here to prophesy to them about what, God, what is going to happen. The people in captivity were in bad spiritual condition. You might say, this, is to this just totally does not apply to me. You know, I thought of that question, you know. This, this absolutely does not apply to me, but it's something you think. Because I don't have idols. Not even one. Let me, let me share some thoughts I believe God gave me. You might give things, not God, the best of who you are. If you do, you got idols. You might set stuff, people, work, hobbies, even church as that which is most important to you instead of God. You got idols. What is it that people look at you and admire most? Is it God? What is it that gets glory because of your actions? What is it that people look at what you do and give praise to it? Does God get glory or something that you do? You know, I, I do woodworking. And I'll be honest with you, I love doing it, but I sure don't want to be known as Rick the woodworker. I love to fish. I don't want to be known as Rick the fisherman either. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. You might say you're a Christian and think you know God and do all the church things. You may even read your Bible every day 
but there is no confidence in you about your relationship with God. Could be that you've never been touched by it. Because the scripture says, and, I, and I'm personal, and when I got touched by God that night, I'm going to tell you, there was no walking away from it. And I knew I had been born again so many years ago, and it seems like it was just yesterday. Sometimes we can find ourselves cold to God. And even if we're saved, find ourselves trusting more in ourselves than God. And I think maybe the worst thing that we can do. All that to say we need to be careful in saying, I don't need that. I'm not in that place. What are the dry bones? Well, Scripture's real clear and, uh, in Ezekiel 37, 1 and 2. He says, God, God told Ezekiel to prophesy to the dry bones. And I, I don't know if you follow this. He's speaking to bones. <laughs> you know, he is literally speaking to dry bones at this point, And he don't even know why. I love to hear people preach the word of God. They may not even have full understanding, but God's word says it and they preach it. They preach it, the truth of it. Uh, we have so many things that people are believing in because they feel like, well, I can understand that. Well, if you can understand all of what God says, he's not God. He is God, and, uh, and he is God Almighty, and he should impact us that way. But in Ezekiel, you don't have to go far to find out who the bones are. In 3711, he says, these bones are the whole house of Israel. The nation had no hope in this condition. And they, the nation actually says this about themselves. They're totally cut off from God. They're suffering from spiritual dryness. How did they know they were dry? Says that they had no hope. Where were they? Uh, why were they hopeless? Because of their perspective of where they were relative to God. They were totally cut off. There was no hope. There is no hope in the human apart from God. Even though we will put it in so many other things, truly, we're going to be in a dry place. What could possibly happen? What could cause this dryness? When was the last time you did something? And you did something you knew God didn't like. And you say, oh, I don't do You know, maybe it was something very little, very small. I was the other day, Amy, I was out doing some work and, I had the water on behind the house, and uh, I was using the water, working on uh, something, and Amy came out a couple hours later, and I know guys, our wives, praise God for them, they do this for us. She came out, and she said, did you cut the water off? <laughs> now, in my mind, I had cut the water off, but in my mind, I thought this. Well, if I hadn't, would I told her, yeah. Well, you know, just to prevent from looking like kind of a stupid guy in front of the woman I passionately love, would have said yes and then go back and turn it off. We have so, I, I'm sitting at the light. Somebody don't move in an instant. Well, you know, some of the things that jump in our head, small things, would say like this. It really don't matter that much. Nobody knows about it. You might say, what harm can it do? We think everything about what people know about us is the most important thing. We think 
as long as people don't know about it, I don't have to worry about it. I will think, if they do know about it, as long as they don't think badly of me, that's okay. It's not that bad. But we can see in these verses that it's not about us, but about what our life says about God. We see in verse 6 and 14 that God makes this very clear in these verses. Our understanding of God and sin and how we so do not understand what real loss is and real belief in God is. The people of Israel, even after all that God had done in their history, were living a life that did not demonstrate that they believed, really believed that God was God. Okay, sin is missing the mark. It doesn't matter how little you miss it, it's still missing the mark. And when we do things that are, that are against God, it literally says the same thing. I don't really believe God is God. My goodness, if we believe God is really God, would we do those things? If we believed that God is holy and righteous and just, omniscient, knows everything and is everywhere, which he is, would we do the things we do? We would have the thoughts we have. And also the people around us, what do they think? What are they thinking when we do these things? And we say that we're Christian, we move in that atmosphere, and we might as well say to them, look what I do. God must not be real. He must not be real. I mean, I understand who he is. He must not be real because I just do what I want to anyway. Paul spoke to the Corinthian church about this. They were not living for God. And writing to them, he said this, Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Boy, if that really directed my steps, it would change so much of who I am. And Paul goes on to say in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, uh, he says, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all of the glory of God. And then 1 Corinthians 1, 11, I don't understand how in the world he could ever say this. But this is a man being moved by the Spirit of God really giving an understanding of what it means to really live for God. And he says this, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Sometimes as, as with the nation of Israel, we just pass by our sins. We just, we don't think it's really important. We ignore our sin and then another one and then another one and another one. It just gets easier and easier. And you might ask, can this happen really to believers? Well, I'm going to be personal testimony. Yes, you can. I, I, circumstances just get so difficult and so unwound. And things happen in ways that you never expect them to. And you, you just have thoughts and you move in directions you thought you would never go there. And uh, I think it's based a lot on our personality on how we respond to circumstances, but we all do. And we end up, I believe, doing what I consider the most dangerous thing and yet the most prevalent sin of all of us. We want to fix it. We will, you know, we will go to that point and say, I'm going to fix it before I go to God or especially before I go to the church or a friend because I don't want to be, I don't, you know, my goodness, God ain't got time for that. That says so much what about, about what I believe about him. I don't really believe he's God. Paul said, he said this, and speaking of himself and his life, I have been crucified with Christ. 
It's no longer I live who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life which I now live, I live by what? Faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. God is our only hope. Truly, God is our only hope. How can they have new life, these dry bones? You know, these dry bones are the nation of Israel. How did they get there? They got it by rebelling against God, rebelling against the literal word of God, not being willing to listen. Ezekiel 37 is a continuation of what was said in 36 to get the full story here. God is speaking of something he is going to do to the nation. The purpose is not for blessing the nation, even though they are blessed and we're blessed by God. The purpose is that God's name would be lifted and raised up. God says in Ezekiel 36, 22 through 23, that it is so God's name may be lifted up in the eyes of the nations, in which, because of the Israelites, it had been profaned in their very presence. And God was going to vindicate his holy name in the very presence of the nations. So, God, how is God going to do this? And God, this is, this is just a great thought because this, in, this brings us to what we call the new covenant. You know, God worked in a lot of ways in the past, and he's worked, continuing to work, and he's always been pointing people to Jesus. But it, God promised them something that they didn't understand. He is so showing his grace and mercy. Uh, pastor said Wednesday night, he said, uh, it just seemed like this nation, and no matter what they did, was going to end up on the right side. You know, this little nation had been attacked by so many people, and it just seemed like every time it looked like they were going to go down, they didn't go down. And it was all because of God's promises, not because of them, but what God was going to achieve through them, that he was not going to let them go down. He was going to achieve the purpose of the redemption of man and what was happening to them even this text was a picture of so many things to help us understand we just sing we just sang a song that included uh, words about the resurrection see that, that would mean nothing to us unless we had the truths of what happened to the nation he, we, you know, Jesus Christ, we sang about his blood and the sacrifice and what it was in relationship to our forgiveness. That would mean nothing to us if we didn't have the stories of the sacrifice of the nation of Israel. All that happened to them, pictures of what God was going to do and is doing and will continue to do. So how was God going to vindicate them? I want to read this in... Uh, in 36, 25 through 27, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to, call, uh, to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. God here tells them everything that's going to happen in the future. They're a part of something yet to come. Still yet to come in fulfillment. You know, God told them that he would 
Gather them back into their land. Cleanse them from their sins. Give them a new heart and a new spirit. And God would put his spirit in them. Does this sound familiar? I mean, it it should to us who believe. God did this and is doing this. God was telling them that they were going to be part of his plan to redeem mankind to himself. That one day they would be fully free and given new life. Guys, did y'all get that slide on New Covenant, Old Covenant? Uh, Anyway, if you didn't, I've been talking about New Covenant. You can't see that. Uh, Don't worry about it. God had a covenant with the nation of Israel, the Old Covenant. And he he achieved so much through it. The Old Covenant, best way to describe it, the Old Covenant was written on paper. The New Covenant is written on hearts. The Old Covenant was really one that was given to fail in that it was not given to create righteousness, but it was given to create conviction. It was given to show them they could not be righteous through it. And it should drive them, as it did to many, Isaiah's going to basically say, woe is me, a prophet of God. And the same thing that Paul says later, a Jew, a pharisaical Jew who believed in the word, He's going to say, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to set me free from this body of sin? The law brings you to your sinfulness and shows you how much you need God to be set free. That's the new covenant. new covenant is being set free in Jesus Christ. It's to be born again in Christ. To the glory of his name is what God was saying. The nations will be set free from Babylonian captivity as a start of this great redemption but much more was yet to come. God's name, God's name is vindicated as people now, including Jews, as people now, including Jews, trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord. God is glorified as his name is lifted up, as lives are lived for God. Not in our power and strength, because that can't happen, but in his power. And people see this change. This is New life for God. Chapter 37, all about the dry bones, is a picture of this new life and shows how it happens. As we read earlier, the nation is a dry bones. God demonstrates in this text that things can happen to those dry bones that give life. For dry bones to have any hope, two, basically, two things got to happen. First, the word of God's got to be spoken. It has to be spoken. And as I said, this prophet spoke to the bones. Just to the bones. The prophet first spoke and he heard by speaking the word. Okay? Heard sound rattling and bones came together. And by the way, they didn't just come together randomly. They came together bone to bone and literally formed a skeleton. This was a mess of a place. Bones scattered everywhere. And God put skin and covered them. But the scripture says there was no life, no breath in these bones. The word of God is where God starts. But something else has got to happen. Boy, this is beautiful the way of prophet. And and it's a lot that has to happen. No life until the prophet spoke to the breath. The four winds, Ezekiel told the four winds, thus says the Lord, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breath on, and breathe on these slain, 
that they may live. For life to come to someone who does not live for God, a word from God must be spoken and received. But a breath from God must be applied. So what are points to consider from all this? One, and most important, am I truly born again? I believe, just like the nation of Israel, in their dry place, really thinking they were doing everything God wanted them to do, and it didn't matter, we walk the same path. People today will go to church, they will do everything that they're told to do, and yet they haven't been touched by the Spirit of God. It has not really happened. And, I, and how, how would you discern that? You know, that's a, that's a God thing in itself because Scripture said, Jesus said, unless you're drawn by the Father, you're not going to come to me. God will put in you a sense. And you may be sitting here having done that for years, but yet you know within yourself you haven't been born again. And that's actually a good place to be because that's where we all start is in an under, like that night, when I rejected the truth of God's word, right there, I knew I was lost. And I, I was baptized when I was 10. So first, am I truly born? Second, am I as a Christian living for God? Does God really get glory from my life? Do others see God as God in my life? Do others really uh, are they really seeing God through you, in you and through you? Is he the one that gets the glory out of your life? So either way, what is going to be the next step? And these are kind of similar next steps. First, I'd encourage you, find somebody. You know, it could be that God uses the word that's been spoken this morning. But if you're having that feeling, you're either since you don't know God or you're down, you've been beat up by the circumstances and you feel like, wow, I just, I just sense a real dryness in my life. Find somebody that, that, uh, that you feel like will tell you the truth. And I'm a, I, tell you, I can tell you how you will know this person is a good person. They're going to look at you and say, you don't need to be talking to me because I'm struggling with the same stuff you are. But their life demonstrates something different and speaks different. Uh, but you need to find someone that will speak the truth of the word. Then you need to trust in God. Trust in that. Uh, you know, be honest with yourself. You got, you know, there's honesty over all of our lives. We have to recognize this life is hard and it's difficult. And uh, we're going to go through things we cannot get through unless God works. And somehow, this is the way it works, somehow God will take the very thing that we thought was the worst thing that could ever happen to us, and, and, and you have experienced this if you're truly born again, he'll flip it and turn it into something he can get glory out of. It will, it will change. And he'll turn it, and he will receive glory, and you will be one step closer to him, which is the new covenant. It's grace upon grace it's God working in us so that we can be more like Jesus so only only we know where we are 
And, uh, and I would pray, wow, this morning, uh, you would deal with that. So let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. We love you. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Thank you, Lord, for